before I actually start teaching continuing message series in Philippians, I'm going to ask our transition team, so anyone who served on our transition team in 2018 to come on up to the stage, please. Thank you. That's, that's not you, Alex. <laughs> come on up this way. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I... <laughs> that is a whole lot nicer than anything I was going to say. Uh, we'll have more time at the retreat to process the transition which happened earlier on uh, this year. But suffice it to say, in the midst of a really unexpected situation, these members of the transition team were your representatives as they wanted to fight for the church to continue. And they did just a tremendous job of providing leadership and clarity. Um, they are the first fruits of people who continued in this church. So as we give them credit, please know if you were part of staying in this church and wanting to keep a gospel-centered church alive, uh, these are the first fruits of the excellent work that you have done. We're going to be moving the transition team to a leadership team. The leadership team, will, their role will be oversight of the church for 12 months. Oversight of the church would look like if there's any big strategy to happen, it would need a unanimous vote by the leadership team. So if I decided to change the church name to Andy Doyle's Magic Emporium, <laughs> as good as that sounds... There would need to be a unanimous vote to allow it. Uh, as we do discipleship and start fulfilling our mission as a church, and we think about what ministries to do when, that would also need the unanimous decision of our leadership team. Another key thing is they'll be praying and caring for people here. There's a spiritual responsibility which they took in the transition team, which will continue into the leadership team. And also, if I have any weird theology, I start majoring on minors. Uh, these are your representatives to go to with concerns you may have about me. Uh, please don't do that. My wife will also... There's other members here who are not up on the stage. That's, they're helping in kids' ministry. That's Alyssa Hyde... Uh, John and Whitney Falker and my wife Shelley uh, will be uh, coming. <clears throat> so please thank them for what they've done. So we've moved from chapter two, we're moving into chapter three. We've already had some good growth this summer and we'll continue to have good growth as we move into chapter three of our church life. Now, a month ago, I asked the transition team members, please discern whether God is calling you to stay on to the leadership team. The leadership team is going to be around for 12 months. It'll be 12 months before then in fall 2019, we move to the much more regular and biblical elders and deacons for much longer terms. But this is a continuation of the transition team. So a month ago, I said, speak to God about what he's calling you to do. Uh, Ministry is a bit similar. The best analogy I can use is football or American football. There are different plays. And we all have a part to play, but different people will need to be on the pitch at different times. And as they've gone through the transition, as good and as useful 
as they were. God might be then calling them to do something different other than the leadership team, which is why open-handedly I said, hey, listen from God and obey him. And we met uh, last week. We meet on a monthly basis as leaders of the church. And I heard the decisions people have made. And what was clear is everyone had clearly heard from God. And everyone was being faithful in obeying what he said. So some are staying and some are not staying. Know this. Those that are staying do not love you more than those that are not staying. Know this, that they have really fought tooth and nail for this church and will continue to do so, whether they're on the leadership team or God is calling them to something different. Um, I want you to pray for the people um, and the people that are staying and those that are going. We'll have another opportunity in three months' time when I make the leadership team official. So I want your feedback on who uh, we're recommending. We'll have a time to honor the transition team and a time to commission the new leaders of the church. So those that have decided to stay on are Nick and Kendra Curran, John Falker, uh, Greg and Alyssa Hyde, and myself and Shelley. What I'd like you to do now is to put your hands out as we pray for this transition team, for the things that God is calling them to do, whether it's a new thing or whether it's a time of rest or if it's the leadership team. Father God, thank you for each person here. Lord, they have heard you and kept this church going. And Lord, I know of their love for you and their love of this church. For some people, it was a clear, uh, we need some rest and a step to the side. For others, it was a painful, wow, God, really you're calling me not to be in the leadership team for this season? Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for their obedience. Thank you for their humility, Lord. And I pray that we as a church would continue to be praying for them that we as a church would be praying for this proposed leadership team. And if there are encouragements or concerns that we need to know, Lord, I pray that those would be communicated uh, to me within leadership. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you, friends. Know that you are deeply loved. Like that, I did not ask them to clap. In fact, it showed me up a little, but they did a tremendous job. So thank you very much. Please take a seat. Normally, I like to say things. I'm not going to say I say jokes, but normally I like to say things that I find are funny. Uh, this is going to be one of those messages where there's very few of those things. It's a really serious message. As I was studying the text, I just thought, wow, like this, is, this didn't seem like it was going to be a hardcore message, but it is pretty hardcore. So uh, if you want to laugh at how I pronounce something, do. If you're wondering where are the jokes... Um, I'm sorry, they just weren't that appropriate for this message. Uh, maybe just a slight giggle at this beginning introduction before I hit you with the text. Uh, two weeks ago, I decided to clean out my study. Now, we live in a 130-year-old house in St. Charles. The basement of that house is where things should belong that we don't need. Uh, my study actually becomes that place. Our basement is 130 years old. It looks like I could sell tickets to it and it'd be part of Ghost Adventures. Um, so my study just over time just gets full of stuff that we don't need. And eventually I get around to obeying my wife and tidying it. What I realized as I was cleaning out my study was, well, I that I don't finish. 
I was going through books. I normally have three to four books on the go at any time. But I was cleaning out my study. It's like, wow, there are a lot of books here that I intended to read that I've got five pages in and have not touched for months and months and months. Uh, underneath clothes and laundry and different stuff, I found a whole load of DIY projects. Uh, in a 130-year-old house, little things go wrong all the time. I then start the project. I don't actually start it. I buy what I think I'm going to need for the project. I leave it in my study. Uh, we haven't had a doorbell working for three months. It'd be simple as changing a box, and yet that unopened box, uh, actually I kept it in my study to remind me to do it, but I know pretty sure that I'm unlikely to finish that. It's the same with exercise. I'll start exercise programs. I'll start off some Olympian training regimen, get hurt after three days, and then not do it again. Uh, same with diet. I had really high cholesterol a few years ago. I became a vegan for a period of time. Uh, persuaded my wife to become a vegan. Then bacon happened, and I'm no longer a vegan. And my wife is still continuing on her healthy lifestyle. Uh, it's pretty common that people will be all in or all out with lots of different good intentions. Uh, sometimes it's not all in, all out in such black and white terms. Sometimes it's, yeah, I'm going to start this. And then as months become weeks, we realize that we've just slowly drifted off course. It's funny when it relates to DIY. It's funny when it relates to diet and exercise. It's a whole lot less funny when it relates to matters of faith. I'm sure each one of us knows someone that started the Christian journey really, really well. They were all in. And then life happened, something happened, maybe a trauma happened, maybe they got hurt in a different way. Suffering or temptation happened, and then they were all out. Same true that people sometimes all in for Jesus, and then over time, they start to wonder, when, when did I stop reading the Bible? When did I start going so irregularly to church? And there's a lot more serious consequences to this. So the message, we've been looking at the book of Philippians. Paul is in jail in Rome, and he's writing from Rome to the church in Philippi. He's saying, thank you for your partnership in the gospel. He's also trying to encourage them in the faith. And we've just, uh, chapter 3, at the beginning of chapter 3, we flipped the weeks around because we had a guest a week early. Uh, beginning of chapter 3, Paul is saying, you're only righteous through Jesus Christ alone. So because Jesus died on the cross for you, he took the punishment your sins deserved, you are now declared righteous, like not guilty by God. And he's saying, of all the stuff that I do, that doesn't make me righteous. But what Christ did makes me righteous. This then follows on where he's saying, yeah, it's good to start the Christian walk. He says the end of the Christian walk uh, is salvation. The beginning isn't always salvation. So you have uh, justification when we're declared not guilty over time as you're a new creation and it works itself out. That's called sanctification. And then it ends up at glorification. Glorification is where when we meet Christ face to face, he changes us just to be like him. And no matter how hard we try ourselves, until the day we meet him, we'll never be fully like him. And Paul is saying, yep, you're righteous in Christ, but for God's sake, finish. So I'm going to read the text now. So it's Philippians 3, verse 12, and we carry on to verse, uh, chapter 4, 
verse 1. I'm aware we've been using different uh, translations. That's one of the things we as a leadership team will land on. Which translation is ours going forwards? As I read the text, hear of Paul's affection for the people, hear of his humility. He was considered a spiritual great, but he's not resting upon that. And then hear his pleading. Hear his pleading with tears as he urges them to persevere in the faith. She says this, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature to take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only, let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as often as I have told you before, And now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior, who from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. And now for the main point. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I'm just going to pray before I open us up with teaching. Father God, thank you that you give us your word. Lord, as we explore this text today, help us to persevere in the faith. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, Whenever you're studying text, there are different techniques to use. You might look at repetition. You might look at something that doesn't quite make sense. All of it, when you're studying, is to get a good view of the text so you know what the author's trying to get across so you can teach. The main point of this came out pretty quickly. It's it's verse 4.1. He's saying, stand firm in the Lord. Uh, The thing every once in a while when you're studying a text is you get slapped around the face by a phrase. And it's like, oh, what is that? And you're hoping it's not what it says it is. He's like, how am I going to explain this? Uh, That phrase was enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 18 and 19, it just really stuck out to me. So he's talking about how you need to persevere. And he says uh, here in verse 18, For as I've often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. I was reading, I'm thinking, to be an enemy of the cross of Christ, you have to be aggressively anti-Christian, surely. But then in verse 19, he continues. He says, their mind is set on earthly things. Ah, like how how am I going to teach this? 
Es ist in Vers 19, der Enemy, der Destiny ist Destruction, der God ist their Stomach und der Glory ist in their Shame. Und where this falls in the text, this is saying you either persevere in your faith until the end, or you're an enemy of the cross of Christ. There's no kind of, uh, I'm a mature Christian, so I persevere. I'm kind of growing, so I might fall away. I might just renounce Christ at some point. It's very clear that there's destruction if we do not persevere. Uh, the marks of someone who's an enemy of the cross of Christ is they set their mind on earthly things. Uh, their God is their stomach. What this means doesn't mean it's wrong to eat donuts or I'd be in serious trouble. Uh, it, what it means is their biggest overriding appetite in life is for worldly things. Like they don't really have any desire or appetite to be more like Jesus. Does that make sense? So that their hunger is completely in the wrong place. Now, we all struggle with different priorities at different times in our life. But someone might be looking at someone and say, yeah, they're not a Christian. So if a non-believer doesn't think we're a Christian, we're probably in a lot of trouble. Uh, so they set their mind on earthly things. And the Apostle Paul says those who are not the enemy of Christ, they finish the race. He talks about goal a lot in this text, and the goal is salvation. Let me read verse 12 again for you. It says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. That's salvation. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The goal is salvation. And just in case we weren't sure, he says at the end in verse 21, he talks about salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. We need to persevere for our salvation. That is Paul's main point here. And I'd be doing you a tremendous disservice if I hid from this difficult main place to you, my church. Persevere for your salvation. Persevere for your salvation. Uh, the, the main point in verse one, the word persevere is actually phrased, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Stand firm, it actually means continual. It's not when one hardship comes, stand firm. It means it's a lifelong posture. And he has these words for those that do not press on towards the goal. Verse 15 He says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. All of us who are mature should take the view of persevering to the goal. Again, when I first read this, I thought, ah, so mature Christians persevere, and immature Christians, you know, we probably fall by the wayside. But Paul is saying, uh, you might be new in your faith, but it will look like saving faith if you cross the finish line, as in when you die, are you a committed follower of Christ? Or when Christ returns, are you a committed follower of him? An example of someone that wouldn't be a committed follower of him is someone committing adultery. Don't care about it. Don't think it's that bad. They deserve it because their partner's being horrific. If Christ returns or that person dies in that state, they never had a saving faith. Uh, I'm going to refer to different parts in the 
uh, the letter of Philippians to show that this persevering for your salvation is not something new he's adding at the end of the letter. And sometimes people think, well, Paul's kind of hardcore. Jesus wouldn't say that, would he? Uh, normally, that's not the case at all. Uh, Paul is going to be, I'm going to show that Paul is speaking from things that Jesus taught. So the main point is persevere for your salvation. And I'm going to show now three different examples how Jesus taught that. First one is the parable of the soils. So you can write this down. I'm just going to read this out to you. It's in Matthew 13. And this shows that uh, perseverance is not the fruit of salvation. Sorry, this shows that perseverance is not the root of salvation. No, righteousness is in Christ is the root of salvation. But this shows that if you persevere, it was the fruit of salvation. Does that make sense? You have to finish the race to finish the race. Like Christ won the race, W-O-N, all we have to do is finish it. But if we don't, R-U-N, run the race, then we were never saved. He says this in the parable of the soils. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering uh, the seeds, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Then talks about seed that fell on good soil. <clears throat> then he goes to explain this parable in verses 18 to 22. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil comes and snatches away that was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they had no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus is clearly saying uh, you need to persevere for salvation, that perseverance is the fruit of salvation. Second example he gives, he's talking to his disciples about him being the uh, vine and them being the branches. And he says this, it's John 15. It says this in five and six. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So they can't do anything without Christ, so their righteousness is based on Christ alone. But if they don't persevere, they were never really a branch that stayed in the vine till the end. Final one that I'm going to give today is throughout the Gospels, this teaching. Uh, in relation to the end times, it's recorded in the Gospel of Mark chapter 13. Jesus is... Uh, before he's going to die, he's coaching his disciples on some of the things they can expect when he is no longer with them. 
And one of them, he's saying the temple's going to be destroyed. And he starts talking about signs of the end times. Verse 13, he says this. It's not encouraging. Uh, Everyone will hate you because of me. So he's he's warning them, like, it's going to get messy. But he doesn't leave them just there. He says this. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. But the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. This is not a new point in Paul's letter. He's not kind of reaching the crescendo and hits them with this main point at the end. He put it right at the beginning as well. Chapter 1, verse 27. And normally if the writer in a a biblical book starts with something and ends with something, that's a pretty big deal. And so here it is. It started with it in verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Uh, This is so important to Paul. Uh, He cried in relation to it. So verse 18, chapter 3. For as I've often told you before, He's told them, it's not something new, and I tell you again. It's not just, and I tell you again. And I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. So we need to persevere for our salvation. What is persevering? Persevering is finishing the race. Were we a Christ follower when we died? Were we a Christ follower when Christ came again? It does not mean being perfect. It does not mean being sin-free. It does not mean being better than other people behind you. It doesn't mean that you don't ever wander. It doesn't mean that you don't ever drift away. But what it does mean is if you wander or drift away, you will come back. You will come back and finish the race. And whether you're the most fittest spiritually person and you come first, or the least spiritually fit person you come finish. If you both finish, you're saved. The alternative is destruction. He says this in verse 19, that destiny is destruction. At the beginning of the teaching series on Philippians, when Paul is saying, be unified, I shared some examples of when churches split. Uh, One of the worst ones was church split over an argument about where to hang the picture of Jesus in the foyer. Pretty funny. But if you understand what happens when a church splits, it's not funny at all. When a church splits, a couple of things happen. Church splits, some people think, I've had enough of this. They go to a different church. Fine, they can still have a divine appetite. Some people think, no, I'm fighting for this and I want to stay. Fine, they still have a divine appetite. But in every situation where it has happened, I have seen it where people think, you're no different from me. You're no different from the world around. I've had enough of Christianity. That's why teachers are judged so much more severely. Because if we cause a split, if we cause people to fall away from the faith, we are cursing them. I've had a situation in my previous church as overseeing a ministry The pastor had a pretty significant fall from grace. Uh, 
one family consisted of three people. The pastor left, threw a whole load of stones and said uh, some lies. They restarted in their uh, apartment. One family member went with that pastor. Uh, another family member stayed as we found a new leader for this ministry. A third family member said, I'm not going back to church. That is how tragic church splits are. And it does not end well if people do not come back. The point I'm trying to get across is some people may look saved, but they're not. Now we can complain about that, or we can pray for them to come back. We can plead for them to come back. One of the most awkward situations I've had, there's a, a large sin in a previous church. The person who committed it, if you knew what he did and you were a non-believer, you'd think that's terrible. He didn't think it was that big a deal. He wanted to get back up on the worship team pretty soon on afterwards. I had to sit down with him and in love say, I am seriously concerned for your salvation. Like, do you know what you've done? How could you be a, a Christian and do this or at least not be repentant for it? So we pray and we plead with people to come back. It's not judgmental. It's called discernment. And if we discern someone has wandered away, in love, we call them back. It might be really stinking awkward, but a lot less bad than watching them not finish the race because we didn't want an awkward conversation. So Paul is saying, Jesus is saying, persevere for your salvation. He doesn't leave us there. He gives us the how. So uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says, therefore. And when you see therefore, it means what happened before. Pay attention to that. So the answer of how to persevere for your salvation or three, uh, three marks of perseverance are included before. The first one is in verses 13 to 14. If we could pop it up on the screen. One of the ways that we persevere for salvation is we press on toward the goal. So Apostle Paul says this in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize uh, for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. So yes, there are times when we look in the rearview mirror of our faith, but more often than not, we're pressing on. Paul had killed Christians. He had plenty to be thinking about in his past, but he knew what was so much more important is sharing the gospel with others. He pressed forwards. So it means keeping an eternal perspective. I've had bouts of depression before. When you're in the midst of depression, you just get stuck in an immediate circle around you and cannot see how you're impacting others. You get a very here and now perspective. When you're well, you're able to see that there's other people around you that your depression is affecting. And Paul here, he's saying, uh, hardships are gonna come, but keep an eternal perspective. Don't just think about this well, think about what's coming. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 21, it enabled him to say this whilst in prison. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So keep an eternal perspective of things. Realize that this life is so stinking short. It's like a teardrop in an ocean compared to eternity. Another way that we can press on toward the goal is contemplate being with Christ. We will be with him forever. 
Enjoy him in your devotions. Develop that hunger for more time with him. Another thing which I'm going to share, which probably isn't popular, uh, is contemplate final judgment. There is a time, so we've, if we've been uh, declared righteous, justified in Christ, we've been declared righteous. However, there will come a time when God raises the living and the dead, and each one of us will stand before him. That, like, being justified by Christ doesn't stop us on the final judgment. And as we see the wrath on him, if we have persevered to the end, Jesus will go, no, they're with me. And God will see Christ's righteousness. If we haven't persevered to the end, there'll be an eternal death. And so one of the things we keep an eternal perspective is not just contemplating the goodness of eternity with Christ, but also there is a time when you stand before God. And there's a time when your loved ones stand before God. And it matters whether you persevered or not. The second way that we can persevere for the gospel <clears throat> so I've got sinus infection, uh, is live up to the gospel. So first way is we press on toward the goal. The second way we persevere for salvation is live a life worthy of the gospel. So we looked at this much earlier on in the teaching series in Philippians. And it says, uh, this is where Paul says, follow a good example. Chapter 3, verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take a view on such things, as in the need to persevere. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. And here it is, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Uh, throughout this book, Paul is saying, live lives worthy of the gospel. Major on the majors, don't major on the minors. The leadership team, once they're installed, will be making sure I am not majoring on the minors. Paul is saying as well, he said, one of the key ways to live a life worthy of the gospel, he says this in chapter two, is be unified, be humble like Christ and be unified. So two verse two, he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, that means unified, having the same love, that means caring about the same things, caring about loving God, loving people, caring about sharing the gospel. Being one in spirit, we can have disagreements, but we're not going to split a church over something small. And then and of one mind, so he's saying be unified, uh, being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit, be unified. And he says one of the key ways that we do this is remember Christ's example. He says this in verse 5 and verse 8 of chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the mind, same mindset as Christ Jesus. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he continues in the same chapter 2, verse 16. Uh, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. As you hold firmly, as you persevere to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So we persevere for our salvation by pressing on towards the goal, kind of like having an eternal perspective, living lives worthy of the gospel, being unified and humble and obedient to what God is calling us to do. And the third way that Paul encourages them to persevere for their salvation is he says, follow good examples. 
So verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. It actually means is stare at people who have a mature, persevering faith. It means study people who have a mature, persevering faith. One of the ways that we can do that from a distance is read biographies. Read biographies of some spiritual greats. And there's a lot more than just C.S. Lewis. Um, I suddenly realized how big he was when I came to America. But there's lots of examples of people that have lived the life well and persevered to the end. Other things that you can do following good examples, be in a life group. That's where groups of three to 12 people meet together uh, two or three times a month, and we just encourage each other in the faith. We pray for one another. If any of us are drifting, we, in love, encourage people about the goodness and the eternal value of following Christ. We also have discipleship. That's where uh, one person will meet with another person for the purpose of uh, encouraging one another in the faith. If you're interested in that, come and see me after the end of this service. I'm discipling five people at the moment, so I don't have any more this year. But the purpose of that is not just for me to encourage them. It's for them to encourage me to persevere as well. And the other thing which you can do, following a good example, is receive divine help in prayer. So I'm actually going to call the band back up on stage now. It's one thing looking at people and asking them to help you be transformed. It's something entirely different to say to God, help me. I'm struggling with suffering. I am struggling with temptations. Draw me back to you. He's not going to be surprised. Oh, I can't believe you're the one that's got all these persecutions. He's already won the race. He is going to run to you. And whether it's us in your church family, we will hold hands together, getting over the obstacles of life. He wants you to finish the race that he has already won. Uh, The encouragement I'm going to give you, it sounds like it's all based on ourselves. So we get righteousness from Christ, but hey, make sure you persevere. Not entirely true. God is at work in each one of us with the Holy Spirit. And if we listen to the Holy Spirit and obey the Holy Spirit. There is plenty there to enable us to get through this life still a Christian at the end. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, Verses 12 and 13, chapter 2, he says, therefore, my dear friends, if you always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Uh, the final thing I'm going to share with you. Uh, Greg, when he taught uh, earlier on in Philippians, shared that Paul is encouraging the Philippians from jail to continue that which he started in them. And he used the analogy of a parent dropping a kid off at Wheaton College. It's painful, you're separate, but you're saying, please go in the way I've taught you. In this section, it's like Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, and by extension to us, if you ever get drunk in Chicago (laughs) and you find yourself by yourself 
you don't know where your friends are gone, and you're near the south side, <laughs> do not walk home. If one of my kids did that, I would be there faster than I could tell you. And I would not say, I can't believe you got drunk. I would be, get in the car, let's get out of here. <laughs> and that's not to say there's not good people in Southside Chicago, but it does have the highest murder rate, second to El Salvador in the entire world. And so Paul, with tears, is saying, please persevere in the faith. Like, God will come for you if you're wandering, but please call out to him. Now respond in uh, singing, worship. We're also going to respond in prayer coming forwards. Come forwards if you know uh, that you've been wandering away and you want help drawing back to God. Come forward for prayer if you know someone in the midst of our church transition who has stopped going to church. Let us pray for that person. Come forward to God if you don't actually know, if you put your faith and trust in him yet. We would love to pray you into the kingdom of God. Thank you.